This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Eric Weaver is a specialist focused on the intersection of cloud computing and the media and entertainment industry. He's currently the director of the Entertainment Technology Center's Adaptive Production Project and Special Projects in Los Angeles. That means he gets to test out new technologies and report to the major movie studios on his findings. But before he got to that position, he was focused more on pure computing power. My background actually originally started with business. And around 2001, I started a company that built Bellwolf Custers and sold time on it. We had just switched into, in kind of the mid-90s, this need to go back to these super powerful systems that could do a lot, cluster-based systems. And from there, we began to branch out and do all kinds of work that got into grid or utility computing, which eventually led to cloud computing. And when cloud came around, we realized that we couldn't compete. So we eventually sold our data centers off and began to broker more relationships. So we went around to supercomputing centers and we'd buy their excess time. The work took Weaver down a surprisingly varied path of different projects. One of our favorite early jobs was with the Rock Band video game. They came to us and they had this situation in which they needed to simulate a large number of users to make sure that they could handle the actual load of people coming online. And this was really hard back in the day. It was either you'd give out 128 Xboxes and you'd sit and play on it or whatnot, or you could give out free demos of the version and see what happened as well. But instead, what we did is we used one of the high-end systems like Urbana, Illinois, and we simulated 120,000 people playing Rock Band. And we had a 10-gig connection, and this is like 98, which was a bit at the time, and we pummeled their data center in New York. And it was really funny because we got this call saying, are you doing a denial of service attack? We're going to shut you down. It seems like since this is coming from a university, hitting this so hard. And we're like, no, 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 this is an actual test. But uh, we got flagged. So this kind of led to a situation in which I needed to get more compute So I was working with a couple major data centers and a friend of mine said, well, go out to USC, ICT, and some of these other people have a lot of compute over at University of Southern California. So I came out and I met with some of them trying to get spare cycles on their supercomputers in their data center. And basically they said, have you ever met the ETC or the Entertainment Technology Center? And I'm like, no, I don't know who they are. Well, you should really meet them. They're a pretty interesting group. So I show up at this event that they were hosting, and I walk in with a gentleman by the name of Eric Rodley. He used to run Kodak. And me and Eric walk up to Ken Williams, the executive director, and and Eric's like, hey, I'd really like to get on your lunch. He goes, well, I can't really do that right now. There's a bunch of calamity. But you, I need to talk to you right now. (laughs) And he's like, the board really needs an initiative on cloud-based computing for the studios. And so it kind of just went from right there. We just kind of ran with it. And I hadn't actually worked in film and media. I had supported rendering and visual effects and aspects of that, but it wasn't my formal training. The ETC, or Entertainment Technology Center, has a unique charter concerning filmmaking and the ongoing technology that supports it. The ETC is a think tank that was formed about 30 years ago at the behest of George Lucas. So it 
George saw coming or a challenge was the beta versus VHS problem, where Hollywood sinks a lot of money in different technologies and they just become a pitched battle, which doesn't benefit anybody. Both machines essentially did the same things, record and playback video after a cassette was inserted. So he wrote to all the studios and said, hey, look, there needs to be an organization where we get together and we talk about things and we bring them together. So at this point, I now report to a board. And on that board is the CTO of Disney, Warner Brothers, Universal, Paramount. Epic Games is on there. Amazon Studios is about to join. Sony is on there and a couple others. So it's kind of really cool. We meet on a quarterly basis. And our mission really is to look around the corner and avoid some of these conflicts. On behalf of the movie studios and new technology, the ETC is often involved in developing new standards to support filmmaking workflows as they emerge. Some of the things that's come out of the ETC that you might know about include DCI. So we originally brought together the groups to create digital cinema spec. What we do is we get it about 80% of the way there, then we hand it off to SMPTE. And SMPTE then will create a formal IEEE standard around it. We also created IMF, or the Interoperable Master Format. And another one I led was this one called C4, which is 2114-2017, which is basically a hashing standard. So we have rolled out multiple formal standards for the community to help benefit overall. One other thing I do do, though, is I'll also run these working groups where we explore best practices or standards. I basically do run working groups that are exploring technology and the leadership around these aspects. And then I do an annual nonprofit short film that's given to an individual of diversity that's graduated with a master's at USC. And so in that, originally how it came up was Universal was like, gosh, you know, we're looking at these, we think they're a great idea, but I can't really just drop that on a $100 million project or I can't shove it down someone's throat. It's the same with brand new technologies. It's sometimes a little concerning to put your head too far on the chopping block with something completely new. And actually, it's also very expensive sometimes to take and test some of these technologies. Getting a team and a producer and SAG and booking all this stuff is a massive exercise in management and time. So what we did is we began by creating this grant and then we began to start shooting to test. What are the testing technologies? So we go out and it's pretty much always been at least Universal, Warner Brothers, and this last one, it was Amazon Studios for Fathead. And we'll go to the studios and we'll say, what do you really want to test? What are the use cases? And so we'll define a clear list of here are things that we need to explore and check out. And from there, we'll go and execute them on a short film. And I'll pull all the rest of the resources together. So we have an ability to pull things like Aerie together to give cameras or stages from different groups. So I kind of beg, borrow, and steal the rest together. And they'll give us some cash to make these films. And that's how we proceed. Naturally, Weaver and the ETC are highly engaged with the virtual production and its many cutting-edge workflows and technologies. We got approached originally by Universal saying, I really want to understand more about this virtual production. What is on-set virtual production? And at the time, COVID safety. So we started a project called Ripple Effect. My sister Aura is missing. The last time we were all together, she had been so angry. Angry at the government for dragging on this war. Angry at our family for not seeing the injustice. 
And again, we dived head in. I didn't know anything about it. This is roughly about two and a half, three years ago at our timeline. And we just had to figure it out. I had no idea what I was getting into when I did, but it was kind of the beginning of this whole industry. Virtual production has been around for a long time, if you actually look at the different aspects of virtual production. But we got to play with some of the best locations, some of the best players in the market. So Lux Machina did one of our shoots. We did XR Stage in Pacoima as another shoot on a larger stage. Halon did some VAD. ICBR did some VAD. So we got to kind of just pull all this together. And we had a wonderful person who stood out. Catherine Brillhart was our virtual protection supervisor. So one of the wonderful things about these projects is you get to really pull in these very talented people that just kind of need an opportunity shine. Catherine's always been there, but she just really crushed it on this particular one. If you go and look up that film, we have a 149-page white paper on virtual production and how to do it. And Catherine's a heavy author on this, so it's really nice to look at this and see that probably half the document's very DP-centric, you know, where she comes from both a visual effects background and a DP background and applying that to the film. So... I couldn't even begin to list all the different things we've learned on this film because it was quite a bit, and it was an awesome introduction. The results from Ripple Effect were compelling enough that the ETC immediately strove to shoot another, more elaborate virtual production to build on its findings. So when we went to the next one, we had to look at how to expand our scope. What are the things that aren't being touched or looked at? And so we were looking across several different facets. We looked at sound design. How do you basically mitigate echo in some of these locations? So there's some wonderful work by Eric Rigney that's being published right now that will be in the white paper as well, just on that particular topic. We looked at the end-to-end workflow of metadata. You know, if you understand all these different systems and where things are coming and going from, what do you need in this tool pipeline? And can you begin to share some of that? I had priorly talked about C4. So when we're developing some of this stuff, we also do a lot of pipeline integration. So I'll have, say, in my beginning, Bluescape, fifth kind, maybe some shotgun or some kind of tool like that. And I'll begin to build C4 or other things into it. So I have the asset. I know I'm talking about the right asset. So we will do a bunch of work along that line. So the studios will say, I really would like this tool or that tool in the pipeline. And let's see how we can make sure that will happen as well. We see a lot of that. And so that's some of the things you're going to get to see there in that one. So we also began to explore some of the lighting and automated lighting, like some DMX work and other things. We did some really amazing work around metahumans. So one of the goals of the production was to basically put upwards of 40 or 50 people in the background on Fathead that were cheering and automated. And we didn't exactly know how to do this. And when we first started, MetaHumans hadn't quite been completely released or they had kind of an early version of it. And we began to explore that, but they didn't also have any child actors. So this story, Fathead, is about children in a junkyard. So you can see the kind of woes. Normally, you don't really want to put children in a junkyard, let alone background on these kind of scary points. But it was really great because the team was able to develop all these amazing individual characters. So we went everything from Scan Truck, Marvelous Designer for Cloth and Simulation. Then we did Move.ai for Skeletal Data. 
and brought all these things together and then created custom blueprints to trigger action. We were very concerned about the weight of these characters in these scenes and being able to play them real time on the LED volume. And we got one up, we got two, we were thinking maybe four at most. And we started to go to five, six, seven, eight, and literally the whole crew came out. And this is a large stage operation, probably the largest in Southern California at the time, all came out and we got up to 50 metahumans on the wall. With all of the lessons learned from two major virtual productions, Weaver is in a prime position to envision the next steps in the evolution of the process. There still needs to be boundaries pushed towards bridging these assets towards games and towards this idea of a metaverse. I think that although the metaverse is something that's overly used, and I don't think most people understand what it is, (laughs) I think that there is actually something there. And there is a world of interactivity and characters and personalization and other things that does have great value. And taking that film character perspective and then bringing those engagement points to a production has relevance or is germane. And so I'm I'm excited about seeing that gap be bridged at this point. I do also think that things like neural radiance fields are very fascinating. Photogrammetry in general is such a difficult thing. In this situation, we created roughly 80 custom assets. So we sent teams to the south of France, Arizona, a couple to get junkyard pieces. And for 80 pieces of custom photogrammetry, we had about 39,000 photographs. And you got to process all this, run all this. It is not a simple pipeline to do some of these things. So it's pretty interesting and it's improving all the time. But I think that there's some great future aspects around some of that stuff. Tangential to virtual production is the recent rise in machine learning and AI-derived art. I heard a wonderful speech where someone said, look, machine learning is not trying to replace somebody. Machine learning is trying to take the headache out of 80, 90% of the process. We used Move AI is a pretty great tool. We found it was a wonderful asset. You put up eight cameras, it takes a little bit of work to set it up, but it works really well, you know, and we had to give them feedback on how to change the project. Can you make it real time? Can we speed some of these processes up? How do you do these tools? And it's coming along. I definitely think it's coming along and will help a lot of the different processes, but I definitely wouldn't be afraid of it. Again, it's not as smart as it sounds. <laughs> Though some pundits see AI's potential to reduce the opportunities for human artists, Weaver sees the opposite effect. ML and AI are designed to democratize some of these complex tools. And I heard another really wonderful quote from Julie over at Epic, and, and she says, you know, the Unreal Engine's a lot of simplifying some of that stuff as well. I don't now have to take all these Blender, other courses, and spend years of learning how to mix my paints. The paints are already made now, and I can simply brush on the canvas. And yeah, you you want to get into some of that stuff as you advance, and you want to get more sophisticated. But I love what Unreal is bringing to the table at this point, and giving us something that's much more user-friendly, that someone can simply pick up. Our director, C. Craig, right now is picking it up because he wants to understand that and he wants to feel how I can begin to do previs, tech viz, or even pitch viz, creating this simple scene so it's so much easier. 
I did actually have C. Craig on set once, and we were doing the AI kind of work or some of the other kind of photogrammetry or other work. And he's like, this is like Pong or the pitfall of filmmaking. You know, virtual production right now, we're in this beginning stage at this point, you know, and I totally agree. ETC created DCI, and if you look at the DCI original spec, it was equivalent to a 1.2K sensor, roughly, when at the same time film was equivalent to roughly 4K. And so when you look at early versions of DCI, you're like, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure about that sometimes, you know? And so I think that we're in that same place right now. I think that this is growing and evolving. And it's going to be absolutely amazing in 10 years what we can do, where we are going, what we have learned, what we solved. And that's the journey we're on right now. Asked what interested newcomers to virtual production should focus on to start or pivot to a new career, Weaver has some wise suggestions. I would say you have to understand who you are and where you're coming from. When you look at this field, you're looking at three primary pillars. Your first pillar is creation of assets for this whole world, from photogrammetry to Unreal to tools and scans. Your second pillar is going to be stage operations, building, running, operating stages, understanding everything from Unreal playback to LED tech to tracking and other things. And your third is going to be DPs and directors and creatives and shooting on those films. And so I would approach it from those perspectives. What is it I want to lean towards? And how do I now go and search out the knowledge within that? Like listening to any of the talks from someone like Sam Nicholson of Stargate on shooting on a stage. He's absolutely brilliant to get time with. And he's got lots of things out there. ASC has these brilliant classes. So going to some of the places around stages, you know, learning that stuff. But if you're going to create content, then learn Unreal. Start there. Figure that out. We published some documents. We're about to publish another large document for Fathead. But there's some other places you might be also to look. Simpty RIS will also have something. So we created a wall chart that talks about these different individual areas so that you can find individual talks or unique talks on those specific topics. Okay, I want to understand lens metadata or I want to understand how I set up a shot. I'm also in the process of developing icvfx.org. It's a slow process, but um, putting dates, different courses or classes you could get into. There's Moses has now got a class. Disguise has a, a class now. Rowie is now running a training facility. Brompton has a training facility. So there's a lot of unique pieces you could dig into and courses you could begin to learn from as well. Virtual production is part of a significant paradigm shift affecting all levels of filmmaking, and Weaver has a ringside seat to explore it. This is a huge shift. Dean Daly at the School of USC Cinema basically said this is almost as big a shift to color in the environment. It's a change. It's a, a radical, different evolution. We went from going from film to digital, and now we're going from digital to, you know, 4K UHD. And I had a film school talk to me like, we finally made it to that point. I don't know if we can make this next pivot because it's such a big one. It's also very interesting to see 
who is also succeeding or who needs to support this. This originally was an engineering supported group and now it's a computer sciences supported group. As I get to sit and know all the CTOs, they all have been transferring. It was all original electrical engineering guys and now it's all people from a computer science background that are running these positions. So it's pretty fascinating to see this shift in history. While the opportunities that the shifts caused by virtual production are substantial, Weaver cautions against the business risks that exist as well. Being here at this beginning phase is an awesome opportunity. Don't be worried that it's too overwhelming or you are behind the times. Everybody who's an expert right now was not an expert four years ago, five years ago. Everybody has to learn. And when you look back at the history, like I'm listening to podcasts and other things right now, and basically you'll see a lot of these people who are absolutely amazing and they're like, well... Nobody else was an expert on it, so I just had to learn it, whether it be different aspects of VFX or techniques or things. The industry changed and all the other folks are like, does anybody know how to do this? And so that is an opportunity there. One thing I'd like to say is I'm a little concerned that we're in a slinky effect right now with this industry because what I see from my vantage point is there are only a couple handfuls of people who are really good at this, who really understand this new art form. And you get a lot of people who like, oh, I've got enough money to buy a wall. I've got enough money to throw this up. I'm going to throw it in an old warehouse. And they cannot execute on the level that some of these new modern masters are executing on. And so people come in and they've heard so much about this and they're so excited and they have a bad experience. And that's really sad because they are now burned and walking away from this. And it's not that this doesn't work. Yes, it's in the early stages of this, but it can work very well. But getting to these experts is sometimes hard or really finding your way through the weeds is difficult. Although keeping up with major technological shifts is a full-time job, Weaver sees staying current as essential to a career in the movie world. One other thing you kind of see out there is the shift. If you look at the shift from Mandalorian Season 1 to Season 2, there's this light that turns on with people. How do I write? How do I shoot? How do I do light? How do I do all these things? And it like clicks. Every single DP I've worked with, their second set of shooting after they've gone through one major project totally changes. It's like, oh, I get it now. Because you lean on what you know normally and what you know normally doesn't always work in these environments or not to the efficacy that you want. So it's really crazy to see the change. listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Special thanks to my guest, Eric Weaver, for joining us. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Abel Cine. 
We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. The Virtual Production Podcast is brought to you in part by Puget Systems, an integrator specializing in high-end desktop systems perfectly suited to virtual production. Please visit them at pugetsystems.com. And by Blackmagic Design, one of the world's leading innovators and manufacturers of creative video technology, which also work very well with virtual production. The Virtual Production Podcast is also brought to you in part by Row Visual, setting the gold standard in LED technologies for virtual production. Learn more at rowvisual.com. Please also let us know if there's a subject or guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again, and see you next time. Bye.